0: Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. All right, I'm here with Linda McGurk, who has written a fantastic book about basically parenting outdoors and and play. You're coming to us from Sweden, which is one of my favorite countries that I've never been to. Welcome, (laughs) Welcome to the Forest Educator.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here,
0: yeah. i I wanted to basically just hear a little bit if you if you don't mind sharing about what has your journey been, you know, to dive into this world of nature connection and raising children outdoors, and, you know, everything that sort of comes with that.
1: I think when it really hit home for me was when I had my first daughter that was f- about fifteen years ago. So she was born in, in Indiana and I noticed that the culture was a little different from Sweden. I grew up in a very nature-centric uh, culture and lifestyle mm. where we spent a lot of time outside, uh, both you know as a child and, and when I got older, we sort of lived according to the, the tradition of sleeve uh, which it means like open air life in, in English, where... I- You try to spend as much time as possible outside connecting with nature. I think having a nature connection is also seen as an essential to essential part of a good childhood. So it's something that that sort of becomes a part of children's lives through not only thanks to the parents, but they're like all I would say all the adults sort of help out uh, grandparents, preschool teachers, teachers. Everybody is just kind of united in this effort to get kids outside. So, and and healthcare workers as well. So, doctors, for example, they recommend that babies nap outside, you know, all year round. And it starts very early. It starts oh. from when you're you're essentially a baby. You know, I I hadn't reflected much over that until I moved to Indiana and I had my first daughter and i really started noticing that there weren't a lot of children outside and especially in the winter time you know outdoor play really sort of came to a halt altogether and people just did not go outside and not only that but they thought it was very odd that i took my baby outside I had people take pity on me when they saw me walking with my daughter, you know, offered me rides. And I had other people calling me brave for being out in the snow with my daughter playing. I had, I had a nurse tell me that it was dangerous. I had others who probably thought I was just crazy. (laughs) So so it was, (laughs) it was very much, it was a bit of a culture clash there. And I just didn't want to grow up thinking that being outside in the wintertime was something abnormal because I knew then that she would miss out on uh, several months of the year of, you know, outdoor play, which is so beneficial, obviously, to children's health. We know this from years and years of research now, you know, so I I just I just didn't want her to to uh, to get that impression. So that's kind of that's what started my activism And then a few years down the road, as I had my second daughter, this sort of deepened and I started my blog, Rain or Shine Mama. And the book came after that. Once I started, you know, I I started having it more of a platform. And I I think originally, I I just, I started the blog because I wanted to reach out to other people. I figured if I was feeling alone in this, which I did, I knew there had to be other people out there who felt the same way. and, And I, I was trying to build this sort of online community. so yeah. that's that that's the short short version of how it all how it all started.
0: yeah, yeah, that that's it's amazing how what you're saying is that how it's it's like completely woven into the culture of your original community, your place of birth, and then to come yeah. here. and it's very, very different. It seems like we're in America, we're very comfortable making a lots of separation and it is it is seen as weird or like you said dangerous or mm. uh, just like why would you even want to do that or uh there's a yeah. million different things that sort of come through and then there's also a lot of children like where we live in upstate new york where there are children who grow up on a farm and mm. they are up at 4am helping with milking and they get to see the sunrise and then they are on a tractor or they're they're just out all day long yeah and they totally get it but yeah, yeah. but then there's this other i don't know it's hard to say what it is but it's it's almost a little bit like i know uh, like my family from they're hispanic right and mm-hmm. from mexico and there are elements in in that culture when you come when you come to America, you don't want to be seen as like it's sort of like, oh, living that rough country lifestyle is associated with being poor and it's also associated right. with being lower class. We wanna we wanna be professionals and we wanna show that we are not that. Bad. And so there's a little bit of a rejection of that culture sometimes, at least I've yeah. felt that at times. Yeah, so, it's, like, it's interesting. Yeah,
1: so it's interesting that you bring that up because I think uh, I've, I've noticed this as well. That uh, uh, and I tell this story in my first book uh, that that uh, because it, of course an important an important part of of letting kids play freely outside is to let them get dirty and, and messy and not being you know wearing some you know ragged clothes and, and so forth. And to an extent, like, you know, it's something that you can afford to do if you don't run the risk of being judged for, like, neglecting your children, right? Right. So in a way, it is a a privilege uh, today because it's seen as, um, you know, you you do run the risk of getting judged uh, today because it's not, it's become, unfortunately, it it has become abnormal for, to let children run barefoot and, uh (laughs) And free outside, which is a shame because developmentally, we know that it really benefits children's physical and and mental health It's really what they should be doing, you know, the the first uh, years of their lives, rather than sitting uh, at a desk and learning how to trace letters and like, yeah, preparing for Uh For kindergarten, always preparing for the next stage of their lives instead of letting them actually be in the here and now. So, uh, so yeah, oh. it's there's definitely that element to it, and and I think that's part of the reason why uh, nature-based preschools and these forest schools uh, are they're very popular with the you know middle class, upper middle class. Uh, And uh, the affluent, uh, partly because a lot of them are expensive as well, of course, but I also think it is, it's a choice that you can make when you don't have to worry about uh, other people's perception of, of the idea, because it also takes some, it takes some strength to stand up for that, for that choice, uh, So it's not something that, that everybody might feel that they are in a position to do.
0: That's, that is really a key thing. I mean, I, I totally know lots of moms that, that will say being a mom is like a, is a gauntlet of trying to do the right thing to advocate for your child and also try to emerge unscathed from the judgments, from the, the pressure to be perfect and to, you know, to give them the right food. And, you know, you, you know, sort of like, Oh, I I gave them an apple and it wasn't organic. And it's like, gasp. Oh no. You know, you're a bad mom now, you know, and it's just like, what are you talking about? But there is that there are these like weird norms that somebody, somebody will write an article somewhere and say, oh, don't wear this, don't wear this fabric, or don't do whatever it is. And suddenly you're like, I didn't see the article, and now you're the odd yeah. person out or something. Like that's the yeah. fear. I don't, I'm not necessarily right. sure that moms are actually, you know, stoned in the in the parking lot. But yeah, it is
1: hard. And I think it, the US is very it's very different in Sweden in that the whole parenting, there's not like one homogenous parenting culture. There's like almost like tribes. It's very, you know, it's either you parent this way or that way it's like this big spectrum and and it's like you almost have to choose you have to choose between all it's like a smorgasbord of different parenting styles whereas in in sweden it's more it's more like i don't want to say that everybody does the same thing but pretty much it's it's very it's very homogenous in that that everybody sort of agrees at least in the play-based philosophy that the child-led philosophy and placing nature at the heart of children's education—that's not controversial whatsoever. That—that's uh, that's very much uh, established. Then, of course, we do to some extent we face the same challenge uh, in terms of the, the competition of electronics and you know yeah. digital entertainment media. Uh, that's probably you know where th- that's a challenge here as well. I would say,
0: right, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. was gonna ask you when you grew up there, now did you like live on a farm or were you going to the country a lot? Were you in an urban environment that a lot of this was happening? Or, you know, do you you know, is yeah, you I hear, hear anything about like some of that, like some of those early experiences that you had that you remember? Yeah.
1: I I grew up in a sort of suburban area. So not farm, farm, but still very, you know, with a with the woods in my basically in my backyard and close to a lake uh, with a lot of freedom to roam uh, on my own so that's that's what my friends and i did and sweden uh, and the nordic countries or most of the nordic countries you know we have extensive rights to use private and public land for uh outdoor recreation you know that means that we have a lot of access and there's also just a lot of forests here So that's, you know, that makes it real easy. And even in the cities, actually, and this just goes to show that city planning really has to be a part of this movement, too, because so many of us live in cities today. I mean, over, I think, some 80% in the. Of the people in the industrialized world, at least we, you know, we live in cities, and they are not designed, and especially not in, in a lot of places in the U.S. That's really sort of presenting a big obstacle for people who are wanting to get outside, and especially with children. We need to have a lot of green spaces for our health. In Sweden, I think the city, the government, they they realized this early on. So we've had this tradition since the 1850s is when Frielusli Fri was first. That term was coined because it was like a reaction against the industrialism and urbanization. It, it was a way for people to get back out, you know, to the countryside and to breathe the fresh air and get away from the noise and the crowds and the pollution and the traffic and i think today it's you know it's, it, i think it's more important than ever now we have all these electronic gadgets that are keeping us uh, online all the time and we're always accessible you know it makes it very hard to to relax so i think green spaces public green spaces are going to be key to you know public health Thanks. because we we know that having these spaces are is crucial to children's health i mean there there was a There are studies coming out on this all the time, like big studies involving tens of thousands of people where where they can tell there was just one coming out of Denmark not long ago, where they show that children who grew up with better access to green spaces, you know, they had much better mental health outcomes later on in life. And they are are linking this to the fact that they were able to get out in these green spaces regularly. So it's not because, you know, it's not realistic to think that we're all going to be able to get to these wilderness areas right, and even if right. you do once a year it's gonna have a bigger much bigger impact to have these smaller green right. spaces closer by the ones that you can get to on a regular basis so that's another important facet of the lifestyle here in the field of slave culture is that you you really utilize your nearby nature areas it's so important to get outside like i always try to encourage people to get outside every day if they can, you know, at least for a little bit and especially for children, then, you know, they, they do need outdoor play time. And I think forest schools and nature preschools like have a, they could have a potentially huge role to play in this because it, it, it's not fair to put it all on the parents either. A lot of parents are having, you know, most parents are, are having to work uh, full time right. and, uh, It's it's just not easy to provide all those hours of outdoor play. So so I think you know preschools and daycares definitely have a very important role when it comes to scaling up uh, the whole nature connection movement or the children. Yeah, the movement to connect children with nature. I think and we've seen that the number has increased exponentially in the past over the past decade but still it, they're inaccessible to, to most um, children in the US and, and I think I think we need to change that.
0: I think you're right 100% and I know like the Children in Nature Network uh that was sort of founded with uh Richard Louv and his uh Last Child in the Woods uh, yeah. book that came out. And they are really focused on you know working with local governments and cities and school districts to talk about you know how do you green put green a school back? you know how do you help that the city? you know they're they're really looking at the large uh, right uh, the underpinnings. Uh, yeah, the all the behind the scenes work, you know yeah. It's like it can be really flashy to be like, hey, I took a you know I'm a forest school level three certified person you do your preschool you're like good to go but there's this whole other work that they're doing that's that's really a roll up your sleeves convince yeah. these officials and school officials and everyone else involved and to try to swim upstream a little bit and get that going so I I have a lot of hope when I see them working in that and that capacity you know I I <laughs> It's kind of funny because I'll see a study come out and they'll say like, oh, you know, there was a $30 million study that happened over 10 years and they went, it's good to be outside. That's what we, that's the summary. (laughs) And I just go like, did we really need yeah. to spend $30 million to?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, that didn't we bought, already know this?
0: <laughs> that would have bought a couple of vans for us and a bunch of things that would have been really helpful for our programs. But I know. I'm glad we did the study. But yes, yeah. that, that's 100%. All of it is yeah. kind of dovetailing and pushing us kicking and yeah. screaming yeah. in America at least a little yeah. bit yeah
1: and I, and right. I think there's been so many studies now over the you know the past 10 15 years I, and and I think we needed that to really convince people to convince policymakers But now I feel like okay, the evidence is clear. Yeah. But you know now we need to act on it because otherwise all these studies will have been in vain. You know we need to look at the what is the public policy for pre for the preschool and it's I think it's especially important now when there's this push from some lawmakers to make preschool universal. Like we really have to get it right. We cannot keep a system that is pushing, you know, children as young as three and four to reach these uh, artificial academic milestones and to, you know, (laughs) be uh, sitting at desks um, for hours every day when what they should be doing is being outside and, and playing and trying their hands at you know, digging and and climbing and and just building their bodies so that they're really strong, so that they are prepared. You know, once once you put a pencil in their hands, but you know, I, I think it's really important that what if if the if we're gonna have public or um, universal preschool and, and that we we really need to. Look at the evidence, look at the research and actually act accordingly, because otherwise it it can go wrong. I mean, we saw that study coming out of uh, Tennessee, which you might be familiar with, that compared a public preschool program with a a play based alternative and the the traditional or actually compared. I think it compared. No, it was compared with children who didn't go to preschool that didn't go to preschool school at all. And and, yeah, and and in the end, the, the children who attended the preschool program were actually they had worse results and had more behavioral problems later on because they had been or the researchers were theorizing that they had been so controlled from an early age that they were just like sick of it all, you know, once yeah. they got older. And, you know, I, I, think we, we really need as a society, we really need to, to look at, at all the the facts and not yeah. just go by what we think. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's
0: inter- interesting. I, when I was, when I was kind of first started learning nature, wilderness skills and everything, I, I did work for summer camps. And I worked for a day camp uh, one summer. And I remember, <laughs> I remember standing in the, in the play field with about you know 30 kids. They're all running all over the place. And there was a little girl and a little boy sort of standing in front of me. Mm. And the little girl had something. It was kind of soft. I don't know if it was a, one of those foam pool noodles or something. But she was just sitting there or standing there, looking out at everything, and she just sort of nonchalantly turns and just whacks this other kid, like you know, not not dangerously hard, but yeah. definitely with an act of aggression. And I thought to myself at that moment, I was like, "Oh my gosh, what happened? Why did that kid just do that?" Yeah. And I and then I thought about it for for days. I thought about that that experience, and then one day, I just saw the girl. She got picked up by her parents. And when her parents came to pick her up at four o'clock, she was there from eight o'clock in the morning till four o'clock at the summer day camp. And she was like, maybe five, four, five, maybe four or five years old. And I could see she started almost crying because her parents were there to pick her up. And I went, you know that child was just sitting there going, mm. I miss my family. I wanna go home. I, there's no adult that will listen to me and say, oh yeah, you wanna go home? I'll take you home. I'm just mm. stuck here and I don't know what to do. And so the only thing they could do was just lash out a little bit in that way. Yeah. and And it wasn't intentional to hurt anyone or anything, obviously. Uh, and I just thought to myself, like, what are we doing? Like, why, mm. why are we, why are we forcing all these children to like kind of come together in this, which is a completely different experience than being in a family where people are caring mm-hmm. for you and doing things with you on a little more one-on-one. And then and then suddenly you're thrown in with 25 other children. And then people go, oh, this is good. They're socializing. And you kind of mm-hmm. go, is it really? Because you're really telling them to go against everything that they feel inside yeah. of what they want to do. And and that made me think a lot I'm you know and and that's the story that kind of comes out and i hear you say like oh is it better for them to be at preschool or be at, at home or or just right. not at school and so there's there's something that is important i think for parents who are really paying attention to their children to go all right what is my kid asking for just because everyone else yeah. is going this way doesn't mean that we that's necessarily the best thing
1: right and, right
0: yeah and that's hard that's hard to for a parent to go against Mm. that and to have to hear about it. I know parents at homeschool and they're just like, man, every time I go to a family gathering, they're like, are you sure you want to homeschool? What college are they going to get into? How are they going to have a good life? And And you just go like, really, like every single time, you yeah. know, to be brought up because they have a lot of fears. There's a lot of fears about it. So. Right,
1: right. Yeah, that fear of uh, a child falling behind, it's, uh, it's very pervasive. Yeah. And it starts early on. I mean, I couldn't believe it. It's the, that the culture, the, the parenting culture is very different there where, there's this constant comparison of, of these milestones, you know, have yeah. they, do, you know, do they, are they writing yet? Are they reading yet? And I think to me, because I come from a culture that isn't as competitive and especially not when it comes to children, I always felt very comfortable in the choices that I made for my children. And I have always been able to stand up for that because I've seen, you know, because I, I was raised that, that way myself. Right. And I've seen I I saw my friends uh, back in Sweden raising their kids that way. And because the culture supports that, the culture supports the notion that that children until they're you know, they they don't really start school until they're six here. I mean, we have preschools, but they were they act more like daycares for for working parents. So. They call it we call it Educare, so it's education but also daycare. So it's like a combination. It's a little different, yeah. And so uh, it's it's very different. It's it's just uh, it's all play based and child led and very much focused on you know getting the kids outside to play and connecting with nature. And there's also not not a not an insignificant part of it is also like environmental education, you know, being connecting children with with their um, local community and, and the, the biome, getting to know the different plants and animals that live there. And just yeah, just being out there, and True. yeah, and, and uh, so th- so that's an important part of it too. And so so that's why I think why I could because I knew both cultures, I felt like I could I could use my you know my experience from from Sweden to promote outdoor play and be an advocate for outdoor play in the U.S. I mean I I was and back when I was went to school, school didn't even start till till age seven. That's just changed uh, since I was a kid. And I know plenty. You know, I I I didn't even I don't know how old I was when I learned how to read and write, but it was there was no stress in that. And I'm a, I mean, I was probably six. And yeah. I work as a writer today, so obviously, and I've got you know I've published two books. I I think I'm doing okay. Like I never understood that stress of doing everything sooner, and yeah. especially not when you look at the the research, which actually shows that I can. That it can have the opposite effect. If the child that's is right. not ready and you push them, then they're just gonna associate it with something negative, and they're not gonna have that sort of lifelong love for reading or writing uh, or learning. Uh, and I and to me, that's gotta be the goal, right? To yeah. to foster a love of learning. And there are so many other skills that will be important to, to children growing up today, and then reading and writing and doing math. I mean, obviously, they're, they're core subjects, and they're important. But you know, the kids, they will get there. But there are some, some skills that they they need early on, and this opportunity to play freely. I mean, you have that window of opportunity, they're not going to have that again, that those years are not coming back. And there are so many cognitive and social skills and just like hands-on experiences that they need to have before you put them in this sort of academic mindset and they're still learning. I don't know why there's so much anxiety around children, not learning because playing is learning to children and outdoor learning is especially beneficial because when kids are outside, you know, they, all of their senses are activated and they are in this alert but still you know relaxed state where you know where it's it's really uh, optimal for learning so it helps them focus you know it's it, there's, it just there's does just, everything yeah. it does it really does and that's not so, an
0: understatement or or anything that's it's yeah. really like i think there's an obsession at least in america it feels like there's an obsession with this idea of control like yeah. the feeling i get and i If for public school teachers, if you're listening to this, And, you know, like, please don't take this the wrong way. But when I walk into a school to do an after school program or something, it always feels like you're you all of you are obsessed with be quiet. Don't do this. Don't do that. Make sure like you, the idea. And I don't think it's coming from the individual teacher's desire, but it's a fear of, oh, my class is out of control. I will be. And I look, I remember going into a school and having a bunch of children there. And we were walking from, you know, the cafeteria to the outside side and our kids were so excited and it was after school it was like 3:30 nobody's in there And the person who was, you know, kind of assisting us, who was a, who was a teacher in the schools was like, everyone needs to be quiet as we leave the school. And I was like, why? I just said, why do they need to be quiet? Like, and she's like, well, other teachers here doing work. And I go, what difference is that? Like, you can still work with kids. I said, they're excited. They've been in school all day. You guys have had your finger on them all day. They, they can't do anything, think anything, breathe anything without it being all in the right context. Yeah. Let them scream because they're going to go out on the playfield. Like, let them. Yeah. Let something. When we go outside, can they scream? You know, like, where is it okay? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I, I I didn't necessarily dump all of that. That was what was going on. I had I didn't say that to her because I mean she's just part of that process, that culture. But yeah, I just I thought about that and went like, man, there is a real fear that learning isn't happening unless there's a teacher there telling you how to do it the right way or seeing it.
1: I know, yeah, um, yeah, I know, <laughs> and I and I had that experience several times too, and and not like once again not. Placing blame on any individual teachers or anything, but it, it, the the, oh. the way you know some of the discipline is, is done, uh, unfortunately, it has some really negative consequences. I so one of the things that really upset me when when my kids were in in school, they were in kindergarten and I think kindergarten and second grade respectively, but some of the kids uh, talked too much, like either while they were walking to the cafeteria or in the cafeteria eating, the whole class would be punished by having to stand on this yellow line in the schoolyard. So they were like, so they had to stay, they only had like 15 minutes of recess. And half of that, they were made to stand on this line. And I just thought, know, I think this is ridiculous. Like, these kids need to move they need to be moving they need to blow right. off steam this is this runs completely counter to to everything that, that we true, know true. about child development but unfortunately some of those some of those practices are i think common still that's true yeah.
0: that's really true i mean i I have been running programs here in our area, you know, in like three different counties. And there are a lot of schools that have teachers that have been there for 30 years, 35 years. And so many of them, I mean, they are very old school and they've never really had to change. But sometimes we will work with a school, we'll have a school visit our place and it's a uh, public school with like teachers who are much younger, and mm. those teachers come in with their school. They are just fantastic. I mean, we're talking public school. They are just like very communicative. They get children to kind of yeah. go, hey, what do we want to do? Do you guys agree that we should maybe try to do this? They're very empathetic. They yeah. uh, take the time to explain what you know what they are trying to do and why and. And then when children have trouble, they go, okay, hey, maybe we can't do this. Let's, let's yeah, without blaming anyone or, or you said point pointing it. It's not punitive. Let's put it this way. And, and I was really, really impressed with, just how clear and focused their communication. And I thought, this is awesome. Like, so, you know, like whenever anybody kind of criticizes, like say public education, I go, it's a very, very wide spectrum. Yeah. And it depends so much on who are the teachers, who are the superintendents, who are the principals, what is the culture of definitely uh, community? And so I I, I always I, I cringe even just after I shared that story. I don't want to feel yeah. like I'm making a blank. I feel like I'm making a blank in indictment, and I just don't want to do that.
1: Right. I, I no, think- there ha- there have been some great initiatives started uh, by public school teachers, like Forest Fridays is one that comes to yes. mind. And so so definitely the, there is a wide spectrum, but there are some old practices that that I think yeah that that need to go. and and another thing that struck me was that the school really seemed to be structured around what is convenient for the adults and not necessarily what is best for the children. Right. So the whole uh, lack of recess uh, and and even for the younger children, you know, um, and also this aversion to playing outside and in more inclement weather which right, was right. kind of the, <laughs> that was the first thing that that uh, struck me you know and, and I heard and I when I brought it up I always got a lot of pushback saying well we can't yeah. we can't do that you know the children they don't bring uh, appropriate clothes and it gets wet in here if they mess you know if they touch the snow they get into the snow it gets wet if they slip on the ice then we might get sued and, and there were all these problems and, and challenges. and I, and I understand that. I understand that uh, when you're not used to thinking that way and, and when you have these practical obstacles, then then I understand that it's a challenge. but but I, I think we just need to at least instead of making all children just stay inside for recess throughout winter, we need to i think face these challenges and see what can we do about them because you can solve a lot of them right if you really put your heads together and if you if you want to find solutions you you can because it, it's done i mean it's done <laughs> in other countries and yeah. and there's no reason to to reinvent the wheel here
0: it's so but. interesting how complicated it is it's like very nuanced because yeah. I know, like in my after school programs, we would go outside and in winter, summer, whenever we t- always try to get out. And there would be parents that would say, you know, like the teachers, would, we'd come back in and they'd say, oh, one of the parents complained because the child, which that child had no problem running around and having a good time. But they said, oh, that child's shoes were dirty. And mm-hmm. those were that child's school shoes that shouldn't got dirt have gotten dirty. And the, this family was, you know, low income. So they didn't yeah. have the ability to just say, oh, we'll go to we'll go into town and get new shoes for you. So you look good, and and so for them it was a there was an economic stress and a kind of perception stress that the parents were having, uh, yeah. And and then the teacher was going, okay, now the parents are giving me pressure, and I was just like, okay, yeah. I said, and I just said, you know what? I, that's not my problem. I said, my yeah. problem is is that I'm going to do what I need to do to help your child, and that's what's most important, right? And we need to then make sure maybe what we could do is have them put on you know their their play shoes or something and you know whatever but it's it, it's really interesting how all of these layers all kind of kind of work to support the current system which in which the children are struggling and yeah. now the teachers are also looking and going, oh, we have children with m- mental illness, anxiety, depression, uh, antisocial behavior. All of these things are coming at them and they're like, we need help. I know a lot of the forest educators that I've actually been interviewing have said schools are coming to us and saying we need help. Mm. They're we're, they're kind of like, well, we want to help, but are you prepared to handle all of what that means? There's going to yeah. be a big transition period. It's not going to happen in like, you know, six months, it, it's going to take years to yeah. ultimately have sustained pressure to make that change. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And at the same time, yeah. thinking like how, how that transition happens is, I mean, it's just like in a family, right? You know, like if somebody goes, Hey, I want to do something different. And everybody in the family is like, what yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of then go, all right, you know, I, yeah. I, I would imagine like your 14 year old daughter and she goes, all right, we're all going to be vegetarian now or something. And yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> i mean i can't enjoy whatever i'm gonna have because i'm gonna get the uh the side eye
1: <laughs> we're actually all vegetarians in our family so that I, that particular one wouldn't be a problem
0: <laughs> uh, but if it was the other way around right so say yeah yeah i'm saying no, i well, want to have bacon with every meal you're like uh oh could yeah. be could be tricky we're gonna have to we're gonna <laughs> have <a> transition period <laughs> okay oh, hey, well, you can yeah. cook outside now well, uh, one uh, thing yeah. that I was uh, that I really wanted to chat with you—you you had a great post on Instagram talking about talking about climate change and about how climate. And I'll probably paraphrase this, or my, I might not even be mem- remembering it right correctly. Yeah. But you were talking about how sometimes educators. Will share in a very graphic way the the like the dangers of of climate change, which frankly are horrific, uh, mm-hmm. but sharing them with children who are really not in a position to do anything about it, really, and sharing it as if kind of like okay, now we we've shared this. So now we've done our job. Now we've, 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 we've inspired the next generation. Right. And and, and then the children actually can be traumatized by that. And I, I think that's a really, really important point that I think educators really need to just be, you know, have some, like a spotlight shown on this concept of, being super careful about what we what we put on our children and when and and what's appropriate and what's not and everything. Yeah. I, I, anyway, I, I'd love to have you hear you your thoughts yeah. on that because it, that was really, really awesome when I saw yeah. that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I th- I think there are a lot, there is a lot of anxiety among young people today, and and rightfully so about the future of the planet. And you know, my activism is rooted in, in this. You know, my activism to to connect children with nature. I mean, part of that is so that they will develop a love for nature, of course, and will want to protect nature as they. Grow up, and I think environmental education is uh, is a part of that, but it has to be age appropriate. So it's not a, about. I think with the with the younger children, it's really about enabling that sort of emotional connection with nature, getting them out there to experience the seasons and to look at the all the critters and to really make them feel at home in nature. That's you know that's really num the number one with, with young children and to to just let sort of feed into their curiosity about the the natural world and and have them ask questions and and discover the outdoors alongside with the children. Uh, You don't even have to have all the answers. I know, I know a lot of people fret about this because they don't feel like they're expert naturalists. And to them, all I can say is that the most important act uh, is to just get out the door. You know, everything else is secondary. Just, you know, getting out there is the most important part. And The good thing about this digital digitalization, of course, is that even you don't have to be an expert today, you can easily find information. Mm -hmm. So just being out there and maybe seeing a flower that you don't recognize, you know, well, you can Google that together and find out, you know. Right. So you don't want
0: to skip over that that moment where you just really look at it and like like, what colors is it and what is the shape of it and just enjoy it. How does
1: it smell? You know, how does it feel? What's the what's the texture? Like the more senses that you can involve, the greater the chance that the child will remember it. It's totally different from reading about it in a textbook in a classroom, right? So that's the first step, just getting out there and experiencing nature with all your senses. And um and here in in the Nordic countries, we have a strong tradition also of storytelling um mm-hmm. that sort of involves the outdoors and using different creatures like made-up creatures to to teach things like we have I have a famous forest troll here in in Sweden that talks to the children about, you know, taking care, like, how do you take care of the forest? What is the, what do the trees need and how do you, How do you act when you're out in the forest? Well, you don't disturb the animals and and so forth. So on a very simple level, like how to a lot of it is, you know, just common sense, like how to behave in nature. And then there's another creature for water. And then there's another one for the mountains. And so you make it very playful. And sometimes the adults or the preschool teachers, they will dress up as these creatures and they will, you know, tell stories or and, and do different Uh, like scavenger hunts or with quizzes and things like that so it's very on a very playful level and then of course as they get older then the older they get then the more they will find out about you know pollution and, and climate change and different threats to our environment and that's when this anxiety might set in and 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 while i think we should be honest to them about the challenges then and we need to to let them express their their concerns you know and and validate it you know so that they feel they can share their emotions about it and not minimize them because they are valid concerns right and I think another thing we can do is uh, to to try and balance the negative, all the negative information, with positive uh, right. information as well, because there are a lot of good things that are happening, and then try to focus on what they can do as individuals, because there are also there are things that we can do on the individual level to help uh, help help the planet. And then you can set goals as a family, whether it is to maybe, you know, take the bus more if you can, if you can uh, travel, you know, with uh, uh, public transit more often, or is it, you know, having um, a meat free day of the week? Or is it uh, always step, like uh, doing a trash pickup day or, you oh. know, setting goals or uh, as a family? um can be really powerful as well so that you so that they feel that they they are doing something yeah so cuz i think sometimes i i do think it, it is complicated you know with environmental education but i do think we we simplify it sometimes by saying that well we'll let the kids play outside and then you know it everything will be fine i don't think that's i don't think that's enough i think you do need to uh to get to that next level of nature connection where the child really feels like they are one with the system and that they have a a grasp of uh the the ecosystems and how you know what what their role is in in all of this um because there are a lot of ways to to play outside and not and some of them are frankly not are not even aligned with some types of outdoor play can even be harmful to the environment. I mean, so we need to to uh, to balance that. And I'm not talking about like whacking a tree with a stick. I'm talking about, you know, doing going on extensive, well, you know, same motorized activities that uh or activities in the exploited, you know, there are different ways of exploiting nature, of course, for the purpose of recreation. And uh, and I think that's important to keep in mind too. Is like what what are we what type of play are we uh, you know engaging in outside and, and um, so that we get the environmental ethos in there too. Because frankly, if you look at it, you know, like most of the 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 lawmakers and the politicians who are in power today, most of them likely grew up playing outside because at one point that was the norm. Um and that hasn't really helped uh in, in terms of uh in, environmental policy today. So I think they're right. yeah, so it doesn't yeah. happen by default. Um no. I think yeah.
0: No, you're absolutely right. I, it, what's interesting is that like I think I guess I would say that when you're when I look at sometimes a school where the school says, Hey, we want to be more environmentally conscious or You know, we want to do something. Uh, I know a lot of times superintendents or principals like to do initiatives that are things that they can then point to on their resume and go, hey, I went to this school and I did this thing and this is what we did. And I remember uh, being connected to a school and there was a superintendent who did that and they said, "Okay, you know, we're going to we need a lot of ideas. And so there were just, you know, ideas like, oh, we're going to do a school garden or we're going to do a nature walk or a hike or we're going to we're going to do a bunch of different options. And the, the option that the, that they chose was to just put a recycling, you know, bin in every classroom. Yeah. And then they spent over the next three years, just telling everyone, Oh, look at what we did. We're helping the environment by mm. cycling bin. in." and I remember being at that school and I said, Hey, so, Hey, look at that, look at that, uh, you know, look at that $3 <laughs> plastic trash can, you know? <laughs> And yeah. I was talking to the janitor and I said, So how's the recycling bin going? And he kind of looked at me and gave me this like dirty look and he went, It made more work for me. And he, like <laughs> he said, he goes, All the trash goes to the same place. So he goes, oh, Yes. He yeah. goes, they're they're calculating how much they're saving and everything. And he goes, That we, oh, we don't even have a sorting system in our with our trash pickup. So he goes, It's not really doing anything, it's just yeah. a whitewash or green, yeah. as they say. And I remember just kind of thinking like, wow, when the kids find out about this, which they always will, they're going to be really disappointed you Yeah. Know, that these adults basically said, what is the easiest thing we can do yeah. to get credit for something to make us look good without actually having to do any meaningful work or, yeah. or change or whatever. And I'm again. I'm not making naming names, and I'm not picking on them per se. But I'm really calling that out to say, hey, you know, we got to be careful of those things, and mm. maybe figure out a way to, uh, you know, I, I guess the other thing too is to say, well, when is it when is it age appropriate to learn about these like scary things that are that are facing us because if we don't share a little bit about it, yeah. they're going to see it on the news. You know, they're going to yeah. see a ice sheet broke off of Greenland. That's the size of California and we're all going to die. Right. Right. We have two minutes to live or whatever. And you're like, they, they, they read that stuff and go oh, down yeah. to the rabbit hole and it's a scary oh, yeah. thing. And they see them. it on
1: social media too. And so, I mean, we, we've been having just conversations around the dinner table at home yeah. since, you know, the kids were little and, and it's just I think it's just a matter of knowing the individual child and, and right. sort of is something you just have to feel out when when they're it's it, I wouldn't say it, it was something that we sat down and thought of it's like, oh, today we're going to have the talk of Absolutely. climate change. I mean, it, it naturally happens gradually as it is part of our lifestyle like we you know we we've always had a compost for example and so we've talked about that the importance of uh, circular circular systems and putting food scraps back into the ground and and for example and and so forth so so those conversations have have always been like ongoing for us and why so for example if uh, my kids sometimes will question well why don't we because I'm a big fan of uh everyday walking, for example, mm-hmm. uh, instead of just taking the car everywhere. Like if you, if there's a, a short errand, like we'll, we'll walk. And of course, when the kids were younger, they would always question that, well, why don't we just drive there? And then, then, then you automatically, while well, you arrive, you, you come to a conversation about uh, emissions, right? Yeah from cars and so how cutting down on emissions how that helps the environment so it's really a process it's not something that just that that just happens like that you just decide to have to have the talk you know it's like it's gradual
0: yeah there's no real easy way to get out of like this process like it's not something you just do like a hey, here's 10 hacks that will yeah. transform America or transform our world. Like we're not going to hack our way out of like changing our culture to adjust to climate change. I mean, we're going right. to we're going to kind of I mean, I, I'll be honest about it. It's like most of the time in our culture is this really struck me because we mentioned about the Canadian wildfires and the mm. smoke that we were having here in New York earlier before we jumped on this interview. And one of the things I, I, I actually read about one of the, you know, the forest managing uh, officials, and they said, you know, every year when there's a big fire, you guys, all, all the politicians find billions of dollars to fly people all over to f- try to put this fire out because it's a crisis. But he said, when mm. I asked for, say, $20 million to do prescribed burns and to do forest management, you yeah. guys never give us the money. You're like, oh, we don't have the money. We don't have the money. But then you yeah. have the money for the crisis. Yeah. And it's like, why can't we be, you know, forward thinking? And I think yeah. about that with education. It's like, why can't we go, hey, we can either, you know, treat people for mental illness 10 years from now, or we could just change our system a little bit and invest yeah. in these alternatives that we are that are proven to work but we're yeah. just not good in America we have to wait until bridges fall down before we say oh let's spend money on infrastructure mm, yeah. so we're just i it's just i don't know if it's the the short political cycle so we can't really think ahead but we're yeah. all going to pay for climate change one way or the other we can either be you know separated from our communities by flooding and highways <laughs> collapsing or we could yeah. like, maybe begin really drastically if trying to make a change now. I don't know, maybe it's too late. So
1: uh, I totally see what you're saying. Uh, And I I agree 100%. It's all very short sighted. And I do think the short election cycles in the US might have something to do with it. It's just not popular. uh, Most of the time to to allocate money for projects that people don't see an immediate benefit from. Right. And, uh, and and, and that's very, yeah. And and it's very unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. But now with these forest fires and flooding and all the, I think the extreme weather is just becoming, I think, I think that, that the climate change is starting to hit home for, for some people. And, uh, Maybe it'll be a wake-up call. I, I hope yeah, so. I hope um, so, too. Yeah. yeah
0: I, I would love to see our children learn about climate change and how, how to respond by seeing us respond. Yeah. Not by us telling them, hey, this is a really big problem and we couldn't solve it, but you guys are going to solve yeah. it, so good luck. Yeah. You know, like... Like that's right. that's really depressing, and I think that's yeah. kind of what you were saying in that in that post. You were saying like, yeah, children could go into like pretty good depression about it, and then when you're in a depression, you don't do anything because you're frozen, no. yeah, and 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 you're afraid. So we don't want to we don't want to do that. We want to have that role modeling of us saying, "Let's do yeah. this. We're going to make this happen." And it,
1: and it's interesting, you know, when the pandemic hit, it was interesting how much money all of a sudden was made available to fight it. But but it's just it's once again, it's because it was this immediate, immediate danger. And that's why right. the response was also immediate. And there was like no end to the money that was spent on on fighting it. But then when you and, and obviously as horrible as it was, the the amount of damage and deaths that we risk by allowing global climate change to to um to go on, I mean the consequences are oh, I don't, so the, much, the, yeah, so much more disastrous. And so it, it's really strange that we cannot that we cannot get to uh, why well, we can't get more decisive action on it. I, I do worry that the the action the, the actions that are taken is you know too little, too late it's, it's yeah. concerning but we must not lose hope like cuz then like you said we're we're going to become apathetic and that's not an option
0: yeah i i if i i mean if i had like more hours of the day i would love to have a podcast that just explored mm-hmm. talking to all the people who are doing really incredible work in a positive way to combat climate change, because I just don't think we hear those stories enough. And I don't think, I think that if we heard about the people that are working really hard towards that, it would be something that would help us feel better about it a little bit so that we're not feeling maybe as depressed or, yeah or like giving up or whatever it is. So I, I really, I don't, I don't think I'll be doing that anytime soon, unfortunately, but hopefully someone else is doing that because there's just so many good people. Like when I saw that the pandemic had so many good people working to create a vaccine and working to solve the problems and find out what the virus is doing. And like, there were just incredibly smart people working very, very hard. Yeah, And it just made me feel so good knowing that, you know, uh, underneath all the bluster and all the craziness, there are people that are holding the line, you know, whether it's the the, you know, the park service, who were basically saying we're going to do our jobs and figure out, or you know, the medical industry or whatever. There are people that are working really hard to mm-hmm. help other people and take it very seriously. And so, I, I I have a lot more hope than I than I yeah. did in a few years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah. Of- my 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 biggest fear is that you know that the science backed facts are not gonna be guiding decisions i mean or i suppose what i want to say is i'm hoping that the the people who are not trusting the science will not get to decide the you know the future
0: yeah it's it's interesting because yeah the whole question of you know who, you know, well, how do you determine what's a fact, what's not? And how you, Like everything mm. kind of hinges on us trusting something. So I, it's interesting that somebody will say, mm. I don't trust this but then they get into a car and drive 70 miles an hour in a car that was designed by people using science. So, yeah. Well, you can't trust the science, but I'm like, but actually you can't. Or, yeah. and, and so the, the, it's the disconnect. That's the sm- most scariest thing, because mm. that if, if you, if you're going to assume one is not safe and one is, and you can't distinguish between those, how can you really make a decision about anything? Uh, right so I don't know I'm I'm yeah I'm hopeful that this has been a really big wake up call for a lot of our culture and and I think that that's you know for me the big piece the, the piece that really I think is key of what you're championing is this idea of let's not, let's be super careful about not scaring our kids or creating something where they can't do anything about it yet. And yeah, or put on them something where they go, Hey, you're 16. Why can't, why aren't you, uh, why aren't you like Greta, uh, Greta, Greta (laughs)
1: Thunberg? Why aren't
0: you going all around the country uh, giving talks and, you know, and it's like, uh, yeah, because I'm actually trying to learn about my own life and what I'm interested in, you know? So sometimes I think we kind of put those kids on a pedestal. I know, I know people that teach bushcraft and they're just like, my kid is three years old and they can shoot a bow and arrow. And I'm like, oh, that's so sad. And they're like, what? And I go, (laughs) A kid shouldn't be shooting a bow and arrow at three years old. They don't even know what yeah. they're doing, you know, like yeah. they, sh- they don't need to learn about the planets. They don't need to learn about, they need to just learn like, when do they have to go to the bathroom and yeah. how to handle the, the house cat properly without yeah. scratch or, you know, like, a, and playing yeah. like they just, we don't need to push people to do stuff earlier and earlier and earlier. And then that right. up as a champion. Because it's still just a weird ego kind of competition thing.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. And yeah, yeah. I'm I'm 100% with you in this. Yeah, and,
1: and there are so many other facets of life that are competitive that I've always felt very... Uh, strongly about keeping nature sort of a competition-free zone for my kids. I mean, we do challenge ourselves, but then it's mostly, you know, by, yeah, if we're doing strenuous hikes and so forth, but that's like challenging ourselves because we, you know, we want to get to the top of a certain mountain. Uh, And my kids are 12 and 15 now. So they naturally, they sort of thrive on having a a set goal and, and challenges. But with little kids, you know, it's really You know, they have so much pressure from school and from uh, competitive sports and all sorts of other structured activities. I really feel like if we can just let them like not not have to (laughs) to compete in anything when they're when they're outdoors and just just let them play, I think. That's you know we we could really use some more of that I think in in children's lives today.
0: Lots of commu- lots of communal like community based experiences working together and lots of imagination expanding experiences. <laughs> yeah, percent. Yeah. Well, but this is like so great. I I could keep talking with you for hours, but I've up a lot of your time. <laughs> yeah. I know you probably have to get outside like right now. Um, I am
1: gonna go for a walk actually.
0: Yeah, 100 <laughs> percent I we are too. Our whole family's going. Uh yeah. this has been really great. Thank you so much for being willing to share this.
1: Yeah, I really, really enjoyed chatting with you. It was it was fun. Yeah. So tell always- me
0: if there I know you have a, yeah. a, a second book. You have your first book and second yeah. book. I, I'm gonna have all of your Uh, links in our show notes but I didn't know if you feel like sharing any of them right now yeah
1: yeah sure uh so my my books are there's no such thing as bad weather which is a parenting memoir about outdoor play and sort of uh in Scandinavia versus the U.S. and then uh, my second book is the open air life which delves deeper into the Nordic Art of sleeve or Open Air Life, which I've talked a little bit about here today. Yeah, And I do have a newsletter that people can sign up for on my website and blog as rainorshinemama.com and That's mama with two M's. <laughs> and they can also find me on uh, Instagram mostly. I'm somewhat active on Facebook as well, but also that's also with a handle, rainorshinemama. So I love to... Connect with my readers on instagram especially
0: 100 yeah that's awesome well thank you again and uh yeah enjoy the scandinavian uh, summer if you can yeah and uh, uh thank you again thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature you can get access to the bonus episodes